Clear is a faster way into Capital One Arena. Download the free Clear app to beat the crowds on game day. Enter through the Clear Lane at the 7th and G Street entrance across from Clyde's. This is Caps This Morning with John Walton and Ben Raby on Caps Radio 24-7. It's the Caps and the Flyers tonight in Philadelphia. Tarek El-Bashir will join us to discuss forward depth and options and our team previews kick off today with a Colorado Avalanche. Their radio voice, Connor McGahey, will join us. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 28th. Welcome to Caps This Morning here on Caps Radio 24-7. Presented by Clear, the faster way in a Capital One arena. It is a preseason game day in Philly tonight as the Caps look for win number one on the exhibition slate. They play the Flyers tonight at 7 The game can be seen locally on NBC Sports Washington. We should tell you it is the Philly feed you're going to get tonight. No Joe and Craig. We do have the radio call for you tonight on the Team 980 and everywhere else via Caps Radio 24-7. Joining us in a while will be Connor McGahey, the radio voice of the Avalanche, as we discuss the champs in our first team preview of the fall. But right now, we're going to get right to it here this morning on the home front with Tarek El-Bashir from The Athletic and TNT. This is a first of a two-parter with Tarek. Today, we're talking about the forwards. All right, so let's talk about the forwards because I think when you look at the depth chart on this team, I mean, there's a lot of versatility here, but we don't really know yet how it's going to shake down, but I feel like we've got a pretty good idea where Dylan Strome, Connor McMichael might be, where Connor Sherry could be. There's some fluidity there, but I think at least in terms of personnel, we got a pretty good idea what's happening here between now and the end of camp. I would tend to agree with you. I, I, I think you can probably pencil in uh, 12 or 13 of the forwards, maybe one extra. You know, I think one question is, are they going to keep 14 forwards and go 7D? Are they going to have 13 forwards and 8D? How are they going to let that shake out? To me, the competition amongst the forwards is for who is going to start the season where and I say start the season because as we know there's injuries guys struggle and get moved around but the spots that I've had my eye on all camp and will continue through these preseason games is going to be who's going to be the second line center you know I I think we all assumed it was going to be Dylan Strom day one Connor McMichael was in that spot so clearly they're giving him a look and they're giving him some leash and they want to see how that looks Strom can also play left wing McMichael can also play left wing then you look at that fourth line uh, left wing spot that is vacated right now by Carl Hag who's out indefinitely. Do you want to have Connor Sheary who started there? He's probably not going to be a huge fan of that, but you know, how does he look on that line? Marcus Johansson, can you stick him down there and maybe throw him a bone by giving him some second unit power play time as well to get his minutes around 14 minutes? Where does Alexei Protoss fit into all this? He's a big boy who got even bigger. I mean, he's, I think, turning some heads here in this first week of camp. People have you know, maybe gone, hey, you know, he's going to start in Hershey to, hey, does he fit? I mean, how do we squeeze him in? You know, Joe Snively's another guy. Like, where does, you know, he was a guy who was hot as heck at the end of last year before the injury. Where does he fit? 
slide in or does he? So I think there are some question marks kind of on the fringes, I think, and maybe where guys fit. But for the most part, I think as we stand here, you know, a week into camp, we know who the guys are. It's just going to be where do the pieces to the puzzle go? Here's another wrinkle to all of that. Snively has to clear waivers. Actually, Janssen Fialbi has to clear waivers. Here's a guy who, at least I think in some camps, and I thought maybe would be a guy you'd look at for LW. And we saw him in that position last year without it having another guy. Yeah, Brett Leeson, another guy. So as you look at some of the 14 forwards, as you said, do you keep 14? Maybe the general manager gets forced a little bit if you don't want to lose somebody. I mean, I got to believe Joe Snively might have turned a few heads out there beyond Washington. I I agree with that. It's funny. There's kind of two schools of thought there's teams that kind of play defense and you know will do all of they all they can to not let a guy get claimed on waivers no one wants to see a player they, they drafted or signed and developed get claimed on waivers so you know they'll sign them to these one-way deals you know there are a few of these guys are on one-way deals maybe that's a little bit of a deterrent to another team to claim a guy on waivers we got to pay him eight hundred thousand dollars to play for our minor league team if he doesn't make the big club there are some things you can do and i think the capitals have done a little bit of that but at the same time i think everyone thinks that their 14th or 15th forward is going to get claimed on waivers. And then everyone gets put on the wire that last day right before right before the cutdown deadline. And everyone, almost everyone slides through. I mean, I, mean, I know Fialbi got claimed one time. And you know, maybe that happens again. But I don't know. I, I, I try not to let the waiver thing kind of cloud my thinking when I'm looking at the lineup. I mean, it's like, as someone once told me, if they didn't want to lose them on waivers, they shouldn't have put them on waivers. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's almost like one of those things where I'm sure the manager are, are a little worried about losing guys, but at the same time, you, you got to pick the best team that you can pick. You got to pick the best 13 or 14 forwards you can pick and then let the chips fall where they may on the day you got to put guys on the wire. Here's a guy we haven't talked about and we don't have to worry about waivers with Henrik Lapierre, but a guy who you got to believe if he has a chance of making this team, he really has to do something special. Otherwise, he may be your number one center in Chocolate Town? Yes, 100%. You never want to tell, as a coach or as, as a general manager, you never want to tell a guy, hey, you're coming to camp, but we see you in Hershey. You want them to, to strive and to dream and to play as hard as they can to try to earn a spot in, with the big club. But, I mean, let's be honest here. There's, there's four NHL centers. Five, if you want to count the McMichael uh, Strom situation, then you got Nicholas Backstrom working his way back. There's just, there's too many. There's not enough spots at the end, right? I, I think Lapierre could probably figure that out. Also, you know, this is a team. This is an organization that historically has been very patient with their first rounders. They like guys to be overcooked rather than undercooked when they get put into that NHL cauldron, right? A couple years ago, you don't have to go back that far. Connor McMichael played his one game and then, you know, spent the rest of the year in Hershey. It was a weird year because of COVID, but he got to play on the power play. He got to play some big minutes. He got to play, you know, with goalie out. He got to play against other AHL teams' top lines and top pairs. You have to learn to be a pro. And to this point, LaPierre has been a, he's been a junior player, right? He, you have to learn how to be a professional, how to take care of your body. All these things that you learn and that he can learn in Hershey. And I would say, I wouldn't bet my house on it, but I, I, I would, I'd bet you $100, John. <laughs> I'm not the betting type. <laughs> um, I, Hershey is the right spot for him. It just is. Again, not enough room needs needs to learn i think even he understands that that's the best place for his progression right now our thanks to Tarek, of course we'll have more with him tomorrow as we switch up the discussion to talk about the defense and the penalty kill today we've got the first of what will be several team previews 
that'll lead us up to opening night. First up, the only team from the Western Conference we're going to discuss in this space, but with good reason. They're the champs. The Colorado Avalanche will be raising their franchise's third Stanley Cup banner to the rafters in two weeks, and they look like they're ready to make another serious run out west. Here now my conversation with Avalanche radio voice and friend of the show, Connor McGahee. Four check here from Kale McCarr. It's all the way to the other end of the ice. Four seconds, three seconds, two seconds, one second. It's over. They did it. They did it. The job is done. The Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions. And they will lift Lord Stanley a mile high. No radio guy in the NHL had a better summer than our guest joining us this morning from Denver. He called his first ever Stanley Cup win for the Colorado Avalanche back in June. Friend of the show, Connor McGahee, joining us here on Caps this morning. Sir, hello, and from all of us here, congrats on a season at you and Mile High City, for that matter, will never forget. Thank you, John and fans, and now I know how y'all feel or or have felt in the past. My second cup final that I covered, the first I actually worked for Vegas TV in the inaugural season. Obviously, that was 2018, so been on the wrong side of one, at least uh, from our perspective, and then been on the right side of one. When you get there, I understand why players on the ice don't know how to describe it because it really really is tough it's not lost on me how special it is how rare it is happy to say i certainly know what those moments feel like but tell me what your emotions were when you realized the abs had done it winning the cup for the first time in 20 years the countdown when did you know that this thing was going to come to be it's funny because when we started the third period, obviously it's only a one goal lead in Tampa versus the Lightning, a team that really can do anything in any situation, get themselves out, out of any jam that you put them in. And so I will say the fear level was pretty high at the second intermission with that lead in game six and a chance to, to win the cup. Here's the thing, though. If we back up a little bit, we go to the St. Louis series Avs have a chance to win it on home ice in Game 5. The spectacular Nathan McKinnon coast-to-coast goal to complete the hat trick. Should have won the game, but the Blues tie it, win it in overtime. Probably should never have happened. At that point, you're thinking back to the previous season where the Avalanche give up four wins in a row to lose to the Vegas Golden Knights. And the second round started to come in and be not just part of it. It was the talking point throughout really the start of the playoffs but when the avalanche go back to st louis and darren helm of all people scores a goal with just over five seconds to go in the third period to win game six and then win the series you almost had a feeling john that at that moment you know what we're gonna do this you almost felt right then that they when they got over that hump at the second round and put that narrative to bed that they could do it right then and there now there was a ton of obstacles in the way because you have Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. You never know what can happen there with those type of superstars. And then when you got over that hump in another sweep, which really took everybody by surprise, if we're being honest, you get to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. And so there were so many reasons to be fearful, but I think as we went along, there were more reasons 
to be faithful in the fact that it was going to happen. So I think the first inkling of, hey, we can win this, we can do this thing, was actually Game 6 versus the St. Louis Blues. But it wasn't really set in stone, really, until literally the last 15 seconds of that third period. Kale McCarr, from the back end, went all the way into the lightning zone to get on the forecheck and make sure that that puck stayed as far away from his net as possible. I think on that forecheck, that's when we knew that the Avalanche were going to be Stanley Cup champs. 16-4 and four on the way to winning the Cup, one of the best runs in the postseason for any team in recent memory. All right, this is a tough one, and I okay. know that because if I was asked this question four years ago, I don't have a single answer either, <laughs> but I'm asking it anyway. Oh, thank what you was, very much. You're so what sweet. What was your favorite moment? I'm asking for oh. experience because – there are so many things that you can pick from. It can be in 2018, Devontae mm. Smith Belly ties it in a third. Lars Eller puts him in front, yeah. being on the ice, the parade, the rally. It can be a game moment. It can be leading up to it. Kuznetsov scoring the biggest goal in his franchise's history in the second round. And that really was the turning point. You talk about a turning point against St. Louis. That's <laughs> yeah, a similarity no here. Because listen, yep. when they got that, you felt like it was going to happen here. So you can pick more than one. You can cheat if you want to. But I, I want to know what their moment or moments along the way that you really enjoyed the most. Well, and as you've displayed here, there are so many candidates, so many possibilities. I love the story that Gabe Landeskog told about after game five, before game six, that it, it wasn't a captain or anybody, a superstar, anybody with a letter on their chest who got up and said something. It was Andrew Cogliano of all people, who had just been acquired probably the last transaction through Central Registry, the trade deadline for the Avalanche. And he was the one who got up and spoke to the group, a guy that everyone would say that they would run through a wall for. I found that to be fascinating and fantastic at the same time because Cogliano had never won a cup, and every team has that guy that they almost want to win for. Famously, here in Colorado, we had Ray Bork, obviously. It didn't work out in 2000. But it did work out in 2001. Everyone wanted to win in the Cup for Ray. There was a couple obvious players on this roster that they wanted to win for. But it it started to morph into, let's win it for guys like Jack Johnson and guys like Andrew Cogliano. And the other Johnson, Eric Johnson, first overall selection in 2006, who had been around the league for the long time, longest tenured athlete in the city of Denver, Eric Johnson, win it for him. But I thought it was fascinating and really endearing that he was the one to get to get up and talk to a group after they lose game five at home again and have to go on the road to try and win a series again in a game six. Really enjoyed that. And with our athletic rider, we went through and we ranked moments and goals in particular plays and mentioned the Darren Helm goal, something that you never would have seen coming, but that's what tends to happen in a cup run. Things that you don't see coming happen and propel you forward. And so that was a special moment where the voice did not hold up, John, if that's fair to say. It was uh, a little squeaky, a little crackly, but uh, at least it was authentic. So those are three of the top ones. Like I said, we could do a whole episode on, on top moments from the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs for the Avalanche. But those are three that really, really shine through early on. Yeah, and the summer to remember that now turns into training camp, preseason, yes, and the words defending champs stapled to everything that you do here moving forward. So let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned Caddy before. He goes on to Calgary. Under Burkowski, Seattle, Darcy Kemper comes here. But other than that, for the most part, this is the core that got it done. 
And this is also a team that when you look at the average age and the emergence of Kale McCarr, and I want to get into him in a little while too, yeah. but tons of offense. The window still, hey, it's wide open. This is not a team at the end of the window. This is still kind of the beginning, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, and look, they were almost supposed to win it again two years ago, right? Everyone had them as the cup favorites when they went in to that series versus the Vegas Golden Knights. They had another first-round sweep. They take care of the St. Louis Blues in four. They win the first two at home versus the Vegas Golden Knights, and then it all came apart. That team, for a lot of people, was technically better on paper the way that it was constructed, and a team that probably should have won the cup in 2021 but did not. But you're right, the pillars that exist on this roster, McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, and you could even go down to guys who have emerged as absolute staples, Devon Taves, Bo Byram. We didn't even mention his comeback. What a story for him to think about quitting hockey. And that's two defensemen that the Avalanche had last year that contemplated either before the season or during the season. Think about quitting hockey altogether, come back, and are able to play serious and main roles in the Stanley Cup playoffs and Stanley Cup final to win. All the staples and all the main pillars still exist. And goaltending, Darcy Kemper gets the offer from the Capitals, as you mentioned. Hard for him to say no to that money at that term. Same thing with Kadri in Calgary, 7 by 7 That has him set up nicely. And the Avalanche have never had a problem with the amount of money before. It's always been term. Because guess who needs a new deal next year? And that's Nathan McKinnon. He's due a massive raise as he's making just over $6.5 million now, if you can believe that. So with that in mind, they have to be financially responsible elsewhere. And there just has to be some casualties of war. Burakovsky, Kadri, and Kemper are that. So to replace Kemper, you're bringing Georgiev. Chosak gets out in front of everybody on the goalie market, makes a trade with the New York Rangers to bring Georgiev to the Mile High City, says he's going to be the number one. Pavel Francouz signs the exact same deal that he had before, two years at $2 million just to stay around and be a part of this team. And that's the sort of sacrifice and selfless nature that Francouz has, that a lot of guys have had to want to be a part of this and keep that window open. The one question with Kadri and Burakovsky leaving, they both had career highs in every offensive category. So that's almost 180 points that you have to replace. And whether that comes from your middle six, your bottom six, when you bring back Cogliano and Helm, you don't really rely on them for 50-point seasons. Evan Rodriguez may be a start on that journey, but there are some question marks. But like we said, the main pieces have been, are, and will be there for the Avalanche. So the pressure is all on them to try and win it again. Georgiev, certainly someone we're familiar in these parts, having been with the New York Rangers, saw him a lot in division. I was really impressed with Francois in the playoffs, Mm. and you say about Georgiev and being the number one. I can certainly see it, but do you get any sense on what kind of split we're talking about here? Does a Georgiev go where a Darcy Kemper in Washington, if all (laughs) things are equal, maybe gets to 60 games here? Is this more of a a democratic split here, like a little bit over 40, 45, 50, or is this something where it really is very black and white, number one, number two, even though Francois obviously had his moments in the playoffs when Darcy Kemper was unable to go. And and he was spectacular. I mean, he beat the Edmonton Oilers in a sweep, which is not easy to do after Darcy Kemper had that very bizarre injury with Ryan Johansson's stick making it through his mask to cut him. And he just wasn't 
quite right when he came back for the Blues series. Probably part of a reason that it actually went to six games. But Francois, as he's done in his KHL career, you go all the way back 16-17, he's the goaltender of the year in the KHL. Didn't think for a second that he would have a chance in the National Hockey League. Nashville, speaking of them, wanted to sign him as a free agent. The Avalanche got to him first and offered him the one-way contract that he was seeking instead of a two-way deal, and he has not let anybody down. He is about as good a teammate, and we'll call him a backup goaltender, even though I would label him probably, John, as a 1A because of his personality, and he's just as easygoing as you can ask for. Him and Kemper were good friends. They supported each other. But if I know anything from Jared Bednar, we know that it's a meritocracy. If Georgiev is playing well and he feels good and he can go uh, every other night, I would say save for the back-to-backs and he's going to go. If he's not playing well, then you do have that safety valve in Pavel Francouz, and he can get those starts. And the play in front is 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 not going to lack any stretch of the imagination. So no matter how each of them are playing, I think the Avalanche are in a good spot. And Joe Sakic says now that Georgiev is the number one, but if he goes through a tough stretch, you have a great safety net back there in Pavel Francouz. Final thoughts on Kale McCarr. All he's done in his career so far, Con Smythe, <laughs> playoff MVP. He took all 18 first-place votes in doing it. Norris Trophy winner, 86 points last year, scored 28 goals, and he's not 24 until the end of October. So it has me wondering this, Connor. Despite all the accomplishments that this guy has had so far, 24 years of age would suggest that he's just coming into his own. Is that possible? As Captain Nemo said in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, it defies my powers of description. And he really does, because, John, you watch him play, and he does things that you can't even think of, and he executes them perfectly. He did that the overtime goal versus Chicago, where he, he takes the puck from down low, heads to the point, realizes that the forward is going with him, turns to his right, goes back down the boards, and beats Marc-Andre Fleury short side. I, I mean, stuff like that you don't even process or think of doing, and he's out there doing them on a nightly basis. In the playoffs as well versus the Nashville Predators. And it's not just his offensive things. He had a play that we all talk about all the time on Connor McDavid. Stayed with him stride for stride, waited for the the opportune moment to take the puck off of the best player in the world stick. The sky is the limit for Kale McCarr, and he's just getting better day by day. He wants to get better day by day, and that maturation will make him even a better hockey player. I think, and, and it's no stretch of the imagination to say that when it's all said and done, when his career is over, he will be one of, if not the best, defenseman in NHL history. Appreciate Connor taking the time to relive the summer that was for the Avalanche and what is to come for the guys in Denver. Later this week, we'll jump headlong back into the Eastern Conference, previewing the season for the team that knocked the Caps out of the first round last May and then promptly got bounced themselves by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then they had a pretty busy summer retooling their roster. A lot of things to catch up on with the Florida Panthers. We will get that later this week with their broadcaster, Doug Plagans. It's the Caps and the Flyers tonight in preseason game number two, 7 o'clock start. That's our airtime as well on the Team 980 with Nats baseball still on 106.7 The Fan for a couple of more weeks. And we'll also have it for you, of course, on Caps Radio 24-7. Coming up on the show tomorrow, Ben's going to be back to break down the game against the Flyers. Part two of my chat with Tarek El-Bashir. And the veterans are going to start getting back into the lineup this weekend at Detroit and Columbus. 
A parting shot before we leave you this morning, and we usually don't follow the happenings of the ECHL's wheeling nailers in this space, but today is definitely an exception. The Nailers announced yesterday they have signed Peter Laviolette III. Yes, the son of Caps head coach Peter Laviolette, who was born in Wheeling when his dad coached there. We've seen the coach's son at development camp in July and on the ice in Arlington with the rookies here this month. Congrats to the coach's kid as he makes his way now to West Virginia. It's Caps Flyers tonight. In the meantime, have a great game day Wednesday, everyone. For the latest on the Capitals and hockey news around the clock. Let's go, Caps! Tune in to Caps Radio 24-7. Listen online via the Capitals mobile app at CapsRadio247.com. Or ask Alexa to play Caps Radio 24-7 on TuneIn.